Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. If my objective was to venture style stories into more visual and event-based mediums, what better than to land a place in the Vivid Sydney Festival? Honoured to be hosting Fashion's Flash, Back to the Future, Season 8 shares the style and stories of the forward-thinking talent who've joined me on the journey of producing this event, which will take place on June the 7th at the UTS Great Hall in Sydney. This series will continue to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but with a vivid team, united by their can-do views and dream big visions. I hope these stories help seek change, spark a new idea, or just inspire you to shine. Today, I'm chatting with Nina Fitzgerald, multidisciplinary creative director and writer, who is a panel speaker at the Vivid event, Fashion's Flash, Back to the Future. As a proud Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander woman, Nina speaks articulately to the movements defining Indigenous identity and representation in both the fashion industry and the arts. But it's her wonderful way with words and her ability to tell a story that makes her style so compelling. While Nina's natural style errs on the side of comfort, her fresh take on fashion ensures there's always something unique to see and always an interesting story to tell. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Nina's story. Today I am interviewing Nina Fitzgerald and Nina's online now. Thank you for joining me, Nina. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a long time coming. I know. (laughs) In preparing for this interview, I was thinking um, our dear friend, Rachel Brand, who was actually the first person to be interviewed ever for Style Stories, uh, was the one to introduce us. And I'm not sure if it was just... um, her meeting you and knowing that you had cool style and that (laughs) (laughs) I was doing this podcast or if she could automatically see the um the thread of storytelling that we both kind of uh impart in our work but either way I I am very grateful to have connected with you um but today is I guess about like your sharing your story and so we'll jump in. We're on a Zoom call now. I'm I'm coming um, from Sydney, and you're based out of Darwin. So um, I understand that you were born and bred there. Do you tell me what what growing up uh, in Darwin is like? Um, Darwin is so unique um, compared to the rest of Australia. I mean, we have you know we have the two seasons so half the year is dry like cool mornings cool evenings the rest of it is the wet season which is you know huge monsoonal storms um but it's an endless summer it's always hot i mean the heat changes across the year but it's always hot so you know growing up and it's a small place i mean the population's around 150,000 people like it's not very big um and when i was a child it was obviously smaller than that so you know life was typified outside um always outside in the heat, um, exploring, you know, from a young age, I was kind of riding my bike around with my friends, like out and about, like it was so easy to live like that. So that's something that I really remember from my childhood, sort of just like telling our parents where we were going and being kind of gone for the day on our bike, exploring places because it was just so safe and it was so fine to be out in the world. And, you know, there's not heaps of traffic and not lots of cars and, yeah, going to the beach and to different parks and nature reserves. Um, so, yeah, it was, I guess in that sense it's like it's very freeing and I think that's something that the Territory reminds me of or that's something that I think of in the Territory in general, you know, big wide open spaces, like lots of nature everywhere and, I mean, that's what a childhood's like here, I guess. Yeah. And did, did you have a big family? Do you have a lot of siblings? Were you always just clumped together with family or what? you know, how did you guys all get out? I have one older brother um, who's three and a half years older than me. So I guess we've always been really close, but, I mean, it's that kind of age gap that when we're teenagers it's, like, a little bit too far apart to be, like, really good mates. Um, But we've always been really close and obviously, like, family trips, it's just him and I. So, like, yeah, we've always been friends in that sense. Um, 
but I have a huge extended family up here. Um, So my great-grandmother was part of the stolen generations brought into Darwin. So my family, like my Indigenous family, has been based in Darwin for, you know, four generations. So there's a lot of family around. So, I yeah, spent a lot of time with many cousins um, growing up, which was really lovely. And just getting out on your bikes and, you know, running around, running amok in nature. Total tomboy growing up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And how would you describe yourself as a child? Like what kind of kid were you other than being a tomboy? (laughs) Um, I was really, I was into sport. So I played a lot of sport. I was very active. I think as a child, I think one thing that I was was busy. Like I was always doing something, you know, I was out (laughs) being active on my bike. But then if I wasn't doing that, I was making things. I was very creative and making things I loved cooking I still love cooking and I guess that's an extension of being creative right um baking cakes and things like that and um yeah I think busy like I just needed things to entertain myself like this very active mind and active little person um yeah I think that was one of the main things I was also very loud I think people tell me that I'm still quite loud but you know when you're a kid you have no filter so it's just like loud um so yeah that was me (laughs) yeah um it's funny because it will get to to your busy mind later on, uh, but it feels like every time I speak to you, you have like a million things going on. So it feels like some things don't change. Some things never change, exactly. <laughs> uh, and tell me about your mum because I I know she's a formidable force and, um, you know, I've read a bit about your mum, but give us a bit of a description of, of your mum and her influence on kind of shaping you as you as you started to get a bit older my mom is just oh I could just say so many things about my mom like she is one of my greatest sources of inspiration for one um the way she conducts herself the way she always has conducted herself she's incredibly brave and incredibly strong um in a way that's so you know she's very kind hearted kind natured and caring but you know yet formidable as you say um she's very driven she's very hard working um you know it's inspiring as a woman that she doesn't you know she takes no shit from anyone really and you know she does what she wants to do and gets it done really well to a really high quality and yeah it's kind of yeah I find that really inspiring about her um I get a bit lost trying to talk about it because there's just so many things that I could say about her. Um, But, yeah, her strength of character is something that's always inspired me. You know, she's gone out and she really changed the course of her own life from her own upbringing um, to, you know, get a really good education and experience a different world. Um, And I think that was, you know, a lot to do with just changing her own circumstances. But then, you know, she was then able to pass it on to my brother and I. Like, we grew up in a very different way that she did, which is, I mean, that's, you know, changes in generational, generational changes. But, I mean, I think looking at the way my mum's conducted herself, like she was a real driver of that, and I find that very inspiring. Um, you know, that was very self-run. Was, was she going through, like, because I know she, did she go back and study and was that, like, something that she did while while you guys were little and that you watched her do or? Was she, she was already- studying when my brother was born, not when I was born. She was already working. Um, yeah. I guess that's another thing about my mum that I find inspiring. She's always learning and always wanting to learn and always has a thirst for learning. I mean, I think also that's where I got my interest in storytelling. She's a journalist by trade, so loves mm-hmm. talking to people, interviewing them, getting their story, sharing their true story. Um, but on that, like, thirst for knowledge, she's done a few different things within her career, within that sort of, media lens um you know for the last two years she's been the deputy treaty commissioner for the northern territory consulting with indigenous peoples right across the territory about you know how would a treaty look for them and would they even want a treaty in the first place with the northern territory government and that's a role that she stood up for because they appointed a male and only a male and she said culturally that's inappropriate just socially like there has to be a woman leading this role as well so she pushed for that role which that's so inspiring right like um and she's been doing that and then while doing that she's gone back to study a law degree um in her late 50s and it's not a point of insecurity that she's going back as a mature age student she's just so excited by it and she just loves learning and I mean that's such a cool message for me like you can 
keep learning your whole life and do new things and change what you're up to. Um, and I just love that about her. Like, I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you owe there's so many things that she's, you've, um, I guess, inherited from her or learnt from her and I can see even in your own co- career path in terms of the journalism and, as you said, the storytelling, um, you know, uh, and the busyness, <laughs> yeah. the active mind. Yeah. Uh, and in, in terms of the storytelling, I know um, that you, you've said before that your childhood was, you know, coloured with Indigenous art uh, what did you kind of what what do you think having that that artwork around you meant for your kind of creative spirit as a kid? Mm, it's a hard one. I think I was surrounded by a lot of creativity and art and you know artistic people from all kinds of walks of life. But yeah, we did spend a lot of time in remote communities um, with both of my parents' work actually, and just different family and just just being interested in that world. Yeah, I don't know. I find that hard to know how it influenced me. I think, um, well, I think the fact that there's a story and a really interesting history behind a lot of artwork and the way that it's made and the way that it's shaped, I think I'm just also fascinated by um, the sheer craftsmanship of so many artists that come from remote spaces. I mean, we're obviously seeing this really contemporary iterations of Indigenous art now, which is excites me so much, but there's some crafts that have been done for thousands of years and they're still done largely the same, which that's incredible, you know, the oldest living cultures on earth and some of those practices are still happening today. Um, one example of something that I've just always loved is weaving. I don't know what, why I took up that interest, but I think it was watching women and it's a women-led practice and it's these really beautiful, strong ladies passing on these traditions generation to generation, um, all done by hand. The whole process is, you know, from nature, using nature, making these amazing baskets. Like it's just such an artisan skill and I think I've always been fascinated by that craftsmanship. So I think... Was it something you did as a kid? You, you, did you engage I in learned, it when yeah, you were younger? I did learn. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. And I mean, it, I guess it's something that calms my mind, but it's very time consuming. So maybe like <laughs> my fleeting mind isn't the right kind of person to sit down and weave. But um, yeah. it's, um, yeah, I have learned. And I, yeah, it, I, it's a really interesting, beautiful process. So I think it's those kinds of things I'm fascinated by that sort of, um, I'm really, I love like people that are really good at their trades that are real craftsmen in what they do. And maybe that's where I picked that up, watching people like that, like they're experts in their trade, those master weavers, um, you know, as are some of the, and so resourceful, you know, men that are collecting bark to paint on, like so resourceful. Um, yeah, I think I've always loved that. And yeah, just creative ingenuity, like in remote places when you've limited by resources, the things that some of the artists come up with, um, and just people in general is just incredible. So I think, yeah, that's probably something that I've taken on. Mm-hmm. And you, you said um, in terms of community, what, uh, how would you describe, because obviously there's a lot of diversity within Indigenous communities, um, mm-hmm. but what in your particular community that you belong to or the remote communities that you spend a lot of time in as a kid, what, what, what did they look like and what were the main kind of um, pieces of, of or of those cultures that resonated with you um well I spent a lot of time um growing up in East Arnhem Land so if Darwin's the top left of the Northern Territory that's the right um particular community called Hirakala which has probably arguably Australia's best art center um right. so I mean out there, it's just, it's a remote place. People are really connected to their country and to their land and to their culture. I think I took that from there. Um, what I said before about resourcefulness and the way people work with their surrounds to do whatever they're trying to do, many things, creative things, just live. Um, I think what I've always liked about remote communities, I mean, there's obviously so many social issues. Like we, everyone, it's no secret that there's a lot of social issues and struggles in remote places. But they're also just, there's so much positivity. Um, so I think that's a bit of a misconception. There's people that, it's just everyday lives, like people are living there, they're choosing to live in their remote places. It's their home. It's all they've ever known as a home. Like 
And it's just, it's a way of life, you know, not good, not bad. It's just, it is what it is. And I think I like that and that's a misconception. And yeah, I don't know if, if that makes sense, but I think that's something that I've always enjoyed in remote spaces and taken from there. I think if I'm hearing you correctly, I, I would say there's like a can-do kind of attitude um, and um, I, I guess that resourcefulness kind of can also be a sense of innovation and um, that, that I would see in you personally and in our interaction. Well, and I think it's like maybe, yeah, on that it's like it's resilience. Like it's showing that, you know, culturally, like as I said before, you know, the oldest living cultures on earth still here, still existing. They're so resilient. Like we are as people, Indigenous people, so resilient and adaptable to the changes over time because we're still here for one. But you go into remote spaces and you really see that. Like people are living life in culturally in a lot of ways that they always have but then also adapting to the times. Um, maybe that's what I love. And I think it's a form of creativity and resilience and, yeah, I think, yeah, I love that. So um, even though you're kind of creative spirit has been around from since you were little and you it sounds like you were surrounded by it um it wasn't your first necessarily your first go-to in terms of a career path and my understanding is you moved to Melbourne to study um geography and science uh was that your first move away from home yeah so I was born in Darwin and then I lived here until I was 18 well, 17, I finished high school here, did all my schooling up here. Um, and then I moved to Melbourne to study. Um, in high school, I'd done some creative subjects, but I also did, you know, maths was my top subject. Um, and I did biology and chemistry, which I was also really good at. So I guess academically, uh, you know, I was a really good student and I always was and I liked school a lot. Um, but, you know, you get to grade 10 and 11 and they're like, you really need to choose what you're doing. You know, you have to be academic. And I took on that pressure like, oh, I've got to go be an academic because I can because, I, you know, I'm able to. I think that was the mindset, which is, I mean, I think it's really sad that that's pushed in high schools, if I'm honest. But anyway, so I'm on this path and off I go to Melbourne. Um, I actually started in biomedicine, um, which is like, the fast track to med so here's me in Melbourne I did six months of it I really didn't like it it was very competitive um yeah just not a learning style that I liked I wasn't enjoying it was a lot of rote learning um and just so it's weird I liked science so much in high school but once I got to uni it was very rigid and I was like I don't like this rigidity of thinking you know like a scientific you know science is very rigid um yeah so then I shifted around. I Yeah, I ended up doing geography because I'm, you know, I'm really interested. I think back to my childhood growing up in nature a lot and in the world and remote communities, which have some of the most beautiful country you'll ever see. It's sort of, I was super interested in nature and um, weather systems. And so, yeah, I ended up doing geography for that reason within my science degree. Yeah. Um, and what was it? So obviously you know you'd gone to that because of you know I guess um there was a bit of an influence on you like being told this is what you should do but uh having like this free you know childhood where you're like surrounded by nature and then you go to a city like Melbourne what what was that like in terms of the move for you not just from a cultural perspective but also just from the sense of like moving away from your family was that something that you were nervous about is it something that you embraced like what what was that experience like for you I grew up spending a lot of time in Melbourne and Sydney my dad was from Sydney so I grew up my his family's there so I spent a lot of time in both cities um I always wanted to live live in Melbourne I always kind of loved the community feel of it and I think I was drawn to the creativity of Melbourne sort of um inherently without realizing it and so that's where I'd always wanted to go I was pretty excited but yeah I'd never lived away from home or my family at all really um so it was actually doing that and living in a city was very different for me um I had traveled a lot already though like growing up and I you know I still travel a lot it's something that I love doing so I guess you know I'd already I was I'm pretty free-spirited you know like I was already around places and moving around so it wasn't like daunting in that sense it was just like something different um but yeah more it was more exciting than anything for me I think 
um, taking all these opportunities and just being so excited by this new world around me. Um, culturally, I found it odd because I'd never experienced this disconnect from Indigenous Australia. Growing up here, I think there's a it's a closer connection to remote communities for one, and just Indigenous communities and cultures. Um, you know, proportionally, there's more Indigenous people in the Northern Territory than other states in Australia. And, you know, being Indigenous, I'm, you know, it was around those communities all the time anyway in Darwin. So that was the thing that I found most challenging, um, meeting people that had grown up in cities and had never experienced Indigenous Australia in their life at 18, 19, 20 years old. That was, I, I found that really jolting. Mm. so how did you deal with that um I think it inspired a lot of my work it inspired me to realize and understand I think it made me think why some of the issues in Australia are what they are I think there's a lack of understanding and then there's a lack of empathy um I really believe that knowledge is power and I think a lot of people in Australia have no knowledge of First Nations Australia so I think that kind of made me aware to that and in my opinion one of the reasons why there are so many issues I mean I mean systemic issues are so much broader like there's many complexities but I think that's a really big part of it so I think it opened my eyes to that and yeah inspired me to be like what how can these stories be you know really well told like there's all these amazing stories and amazing places that people don't know about or they haven't taken the time to look into and I think yeah inspired me to sort of be a part of that and how could I be a part of that sharing of stories and the knowledge and yeah changing people's perceptions of First Nations Australia I guess. Well I think you're doing a wonderful job of that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I guess um, it's an interesting uh, fashion I guess is an interesting site for you to land on in terms of creating a sense of that meaning and storytelling. So why do you think you've landed in the fashion and art space to to do that storytelling? Why do you think that's an important place for um, that potential education to take place? I think, for one, it's a fun, it's really fun. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful way for people to engage with um, cultures and stories um, and I think creativity, the arts, fashion especially, it people interact with it every day. Um, so it, it really, they are forms and mediums that reach the masses. So I guess there's that huge potential um, there for storytelling and getting those stories out there to so many people. But, yeah, I think it's this fun and this ability to connect to people. Um, it doesn't make it seem so sort of serious and, um, yeah, I, th I think that's mostly why. I, I mean, obviously I agree with you because the whole podcast is premised <laughs> around, um, you know, how our style of fashion tells really important stories about identity. Um, and I think that's why we kind of found a really strong connection with each other straight away. Um, but uh, in terms of also landing in that fashion space and moving away from, you know, the 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 biomedicine, um, uh, was fashion uh, something, you know, that was important to you from always? Like what, what did your relationship specifically look like to fashion as you were growing up? Well, I mean, as I said, I was always a tomboy playing lots of sport, <laughs> being outdoors. But as, you know, I, I was surrounded, like my mum is very stylish um, and, my grandma, actually, my dad's mum was the most stylish woman. Um, she made a lot of her own clothes. She was always impeccably dressed, um, you know, red lipstick. She always had, like, beautiful jewellery on. Um, in the times that I knew her, like, when she was older, all her stuff was either, it was from the op shop predominantly. And, you know, she had these huge fake clip-on earrings, but they were amazing. And she just always looked incredible. Um, so I think he was always surrounded by someone like her who took great pride in the way she looked and the way she was presented. So I think I'd always taken that on from my grandma. My mum was a bit the same. Um, and then, you know, once I became sort of an early teenager, I was 
I mean, I think I was always interested in fashion. I was always interested, even when I was a tomboy, in clothing and, you know, what they, how they could make you look and feel. But then as a teenager, you know, I bought kind of Vogue magazine religiously and I read that from cover to cover. So I was always interested in the space and really fascinated by it, um, the creativity of it, the way that it... Yeah, I think yeah, I think just largely that all the creativity and yeah, how clothes can tell a story and um, and also shift a story, shift a story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and yeah. I think just yeah, the diversity of it. Like, there's so much that can be done in fashion um, as a medium, and all the different kind of creative elements that come into fashion. I think I was always interested in that. I I imagine you know the that pride of appearance was like a really important thing for her um but you know I, I don't know what significance it held for her but you know I think when somebody does take that um sense of pride in how they present themselves it's it is often I mean I'm I'm basing it off my own like culture but you know it's often about saying to people this is who I am and this is how I want you to perceive me you know and um it's it can be really powerful um but did she were there a lot of women in your family or Um, you like yeah my dad had two my dad has two sisters so that's mostly women my mom is also there's more girl women in my mom on my mom's side so yeah lots of women around um yeah yeah grandma was a big influence in that and she was really strong character she was hilarious she had an incredible sense of humor and she was but yeah, a very strong character, um, very independent. Her husband, my grandfather, died when my dad was a teenager. So she was so independent um, in the way that she lived after that, raising the family and doing her own thing. So she was a strong, independent character. Um, and, yeah, maybe her sense of style was also presenting that forward. She wore slacks a lot, like really nice. She was always often in pants. I always remember yeah. her in pants and really cool button-up shirts and then the big jewels and, like, lots of gold bracelets um, and r- amazing – thought about this recently, but amazing rings. She had yeah. really cool <laughs> rings. And I have, since I was a teenager, always had, you know, um, six or seven different rings on my fingers, big ones, and that's what my yeah. grandma used to have. So I think that's yeah. – I've only really realised that recently. It must be from her. Yeah. Are they actually? Have you like taken been able to to have some of her rings? Or my aunt they... has lots of her, like my both my aunts inherited a lot of her like beautiful jewelry. But my aunt recently sent me a couple of her small signet rings, which I now wear on my pinky, which is really lovely. Okay, and yeah. and was this, was she based in Darwin Sydney. or Sydney or Sydney? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so she was this important influence on you, even though she wasn't around you all the time. Yeah, and we'd see her yearly or twice yearly and I'd speak to her on the phone a lot and, yeah, she was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of fashion, Nina, uh, your personal style, I think you, as a stylist uh, observing you, I would say, and tell me if I'm making an assumption here, but that a little bit of tomboy still comes out in you in the way yeah. that you wear clothes, um, which is why I think, you always have a cool edge to you but in your words how would you describe your your style I think I've, I've always honestly thought I have not that I don't have style like everyone has a style but like you know some people have this really defined style and I'm often like oh I don't have that does that mean I just have no style um <laughs> I spoke to a friend about it recently and she's like no you definitely like have a very distinct style but it's not you know like always slacks and always this but yeah, that's just a side note. I think that's so true. Um, tomboy edge. I love wearing like high-waisted shorts um, and pants. But I think what I like to do is is I don't, you know, I don't want it to be like fully tomboy. So I'll always have some flair that's like a bit of a mix of something that's a bit girly. Or if like if I've got a really nice dress on, I'll wear it with sneakers or something to bring that back down, if that makes sense, like that contrast. Something that's always also true of what I wear, it's often loose. Like I'm not often in tight clothes. Like rarely would I wear something fitted um, like here and there, but, yeah, more often like loose, oversized kinds of outfits, which, I mean, may also be from like the weather. Like it's hot up here all the time. I grew up in that heat wearing loose clothes 
is sort of part and parcel of living up here because it's too hot for a lot of other things often. If if the, if Stahl is telling a story though, what do you think? Um, other than like weather, <laughs> what do you think? What you wear tells us about who you are. I think I. Oh, this is a hard one. Um, I think it's like my style always has like it's always comfortable. Um, it's not so much casual. It's like it's just not that far, but there's just kind of like. I don't think it's got any kind of pretense to it and I guess that's a bit like me I'm a bit like I think sometimes I almost come across too casual to people and they're a bit like baffled by it like this rogue person who just doesn't take things very seriously so maybe like that a little bit um it's always like really fun and I think yeah maybe a bit different like I think um I hate wearing I hate having on what someone else has on and I hate buying something that like everyone else might own so I guess there's that like uniqueness about it I kind of I don't think it's like a deliberate want to like stand out and be really different. It's just like I don't, you know, want to be the same as everyone else, I guess. Yeah, no, you certainly not. <laughs> um, it, do you, did you take on your grandmother's like penchant for op shopping and vintage clothes? Do you, is that something that you enjoy? I've gotten really lazy at it in the last few years, if I'm honest. But, yes, growing up, loved op shopping, loved it in Melbourne, still do. Um, it's more that I'm too lazy to go rifle through them these days, but buying secondhand is something that I love. What I've actually loved in recent years are all those really beautiful consignment stores that have popped up that are a bit more curated. So I love those. Like I still love them in Melbourne. There's a couple of epic ones online. Um, I hunt marketplace because I think you can often find the clothes that you're looking for that someone's worn once that doesn't want. So like they're my first point of call. And I think that comes from grandma. My mum also is very good in an op shop um and really thrifty like that so I think that's something that's always been around yeah and I think it's the thing about finding something a bit different like you find really random stuff in op shops or old stuff or like no one else is going to have it so I've always liked that um something that's a bit unique so one of the things that um always takes me with your writing um is this journey that you take the reader on between uh you know like celebrating the history uh, of whatever it is that you're talking about but understanding it in a really contemporary way um would you say that that is true (laughs) and and if so would it reflect in your style I think if well if you're looking at indigenous cultures so they're as I said before like it's so exciting that they're the oldest living cultures on earth Australian indigenous cultures but they're still very relevant today um they're still exciting um and super vibrant today um Mm. so I think I love putting that in the stories that I tell in writing or in you know work that I'm doing in fashion and some of my upcoming projects I think it's I guess that's a form of resilience isn't it like we're still here and we're still going and these things stand up just as much as they did but I think and it's it's not to say that it's been done badly in the past but I think there's a lack of fun through these stories like yes there's all this culture and all this really deep meaning but people I think get really bogged down in that like it's this sort of taboo and like tiptoe around and it's like nah this is vibrant this is fun this is exciting like get this out there and show people how contemporary and fun and exciting it is um and I think that yeah as going back to like my reasons for being in storytelling and why I like it so much like I think it can resonate with people from all walks of life, you know, young people and old people. And I think that contemporary side of it is what's the resonating piece. And then, you know, if that makes people dig a bit deeper, well, then that's amazing. You know, that's incredible. Um, And I don't think it's so much about assimilating it and and making it more interesting for people that don't understand it. I think it's, it's true to tell those stories like that. I think there's, they're so authentically stories from First Nations Australia are so vibrant and fun and people getting bogged down in the cultural side and you know worrying about stepping over the line it's taken the fun out of it I think and um yeah I guess I'm trying to get back to that like we can all laugh and have a good time together because the stories are incredible. And you uh helped produce the the gorgeous um shoot from the January issue of Vogue uh, in West Arnhem Land is that right yeah um so tell me what that was like and what it was like to to 
to be on a shoot where you are pairing, you know, these artisanal um, pieces from Indigenous culture with luxury Chanel, like... Oh, my God. Maybe that's, like, one of my the proudest jobs I've done to date. Like, I think that's, like, everything that I work on and, like, this dream of, like, showing Indigenous cultures can stand up to this modern world of fashion in this contemporary way and the high-end fashion. Um, and so in pitching that, you know, Vogue wanted to shoot that model in particular. She's amazing, up and coming. Um, her name's Cindy from Manningreda. And I said to them, you know, if you want to tell this girl's story authentically, tell it from her homeland, from her home. You know, don't fly her to Sydney to shoot in a studio or at Tamarama Cliffs. Like that doesn't resonate with her or her story. Like it just, that's losing the whole, the reason for you wanting to shoot her, you know. So I, and, you know, they were kind of like, well, they're not unsure how to do it. Like it's this remote place. And I was like, we can do it. Like we can totally do this. Um, and so then it was just getting that done. You can do your resilience. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was just like, it's achievable. Like it's a challenge. Like it was so challenging. And so four of us drove out there. I kind of took everyone on this wild little tour. We had a full drive and out we went um, on this, I don't know, it's eight-hour drive to Manningreda, all like majority dirt road, a few like river crossings that are full of crocs, like an amazing drive. I mean, I had this car like full of suitcases of clothing. Um, the makeup artist, my friend Francesca, who's a total legend, brought like a bloody makeup light. I'm like, we're going to the bush, Franny, you can't bring a light. She's like, I need a light. So she brought her light and just like this hilarious contrast of worlds um and we brought it together and it was so much fun it was challenging it was arguably a terrible time to do it because it was like going into the wet so it was like humidity was building like it was just like two days of making sure that like Cindy was perfect and the rest of us are just like dirty sweaty <laughs> like so hot but just loving it because we they her family took us out to their homeland which um a homeland centre is sort of like a family's traditional country. And um, in the main part of it, I think there might have been, there's around oh, five houses um, and there's a running water connection, like one sort of water connection. And then, But then we drove sort of half an hour further into the bush by this little creek, um, which is her like just immediate family's spot and no one lives there like there's nothing there her family camp out there often um so you know there was just a really small group of us there um the whole region's called stone country because it's typified by these beautiful like sandstone outcrops and escarpment like magical country and in this particular spot there's rock art all over the place you know her dad just wandered around the bush with us and showed us all these rock art sites from his ancestors no one's going to see those. Like people just are not going to get to those places because it's not a tourist spot. It's their home. So, I mean, that was incredibly special um, to, you know, get I, their permissions and their blessings to share that through Vogue and this amazing article that came out. Um, yeah, that was incredible. What does it feel like to be in one of those, like in somebody's home in a remote community when you're surrounded by such amazing unique landscapes you know what does that feel like um I always think it's just an energy and a sort of a magic sort of energy that you just won't find anywhere else um because I think of the histories of them um the remoteness of them the fact that not many people have wandered through there um and this unbroken connection that these families have had with this land for you know generations upon generations and they just know the land inside out um, and the stories that connect to that place it's very powerful and it's really special um, the drive out there is one of my favorite drives in the territory so you drive on a bitumen highway to a little to a town called Jabber and then you cross over this infamous crossing called Cahill's Crossing which is part of the um they, they, it's called the East Alligator River System. Well, that there's two different streams of it. Anyway, it's a crocodile-infested river. You cross over the river, and once you've crossed that river, you're on Aboriginal land and you're in Arnhem land, and it's just like this invisible threshold where it all changes after that. The landscape changes, the energy changes, there's this shift in power um, and feeling, and it's, yeah, it's quite, it's pretty magic. 
So only really way it's that sounds just so like wishy-washy and like unreal, but that's genuinely what it's like. Going back to the shoot, it, what in terms of the actual clothing and the style piece of it, um, how like what does it mean to you? I guess to be able to put those like kind of two worlds, if you like, together and in such a beautiful way. I guess it's back to that whole thing about showing the relevance of First Nations cultures um, in, in a contemporary setting. You know, that they're, they're so the pieces that we paired in that shoot were, you know, there was some fabric. We had some, like, beautiful traditional woven skirts um, that were worn as tops as well. They can be tops or skirts. We had a whole range of those, some weaves, some fabric. Um, and it's, you know, they fit, they looked so beautiful and they complemented the, you know, Chanel dress, the Mumu skirt, um, you know, the Prada top. Um, so, you know, it's, it kind of complemented these really, like, high, high-end, you know, fashion so beautifully. Um, and I think, you know, showing that, you know, Indigenous cultures can stand up and be relevant in those settings, like, I think that's really important to me. It's not like this whole other thing, you know, it's not like this otherworldly um, part of Australia that people can't connect to because it's very relevant to all these other things that happen nationally and internationally. I guess that's, yeah, what I'm trying to get at. And I think in telling these stories in this contemporary lens, it's showing that, um, I mean, you have to bring up and support Indigenous Australia and all the people doing amazing things because, you know, there's all these, there's still all these inherent issues in the way some of our systems are set up. But if they can just become a part of the day-to-day as opposed to always having to have this separate lane that's like, oh, we better make a First Nations place for this. And it's like, no, like they should just be part of the everyday psych of Australia um, and maybe increasingly internationally as well. And I think that's what was really important to me in this shoot. Um, and getting this article in vogue. Yeah. Does that make sense? Another answer. Yes. I'm like, Am I again? <laughs> no, no, it's great. You, you're showing your passion for it. And <laughs> I like, you know, you did, it, it is such a beautiful, you did, you did such a beautiful job in it, not just in putting the photo shoot, like the imagery was obviously stunning, but your writing, I mean, I always think when I read, I've told you this before, but I always think <laughs> your writing so eloquent. And, um, but still relatable, you know. Yeah, like you, you, um, you tell a story in such a beautiful way. Uh, so now go back to you and your career and your work. You, um, that little busy mind of yours that was there from a kid is obviously <laughs> still still running still around. Busy. <laughs> um, but you, you, whenever I'm talking to you, there's always. That, or seeing your social media, whatever it is, there's a, there always seems to be like so many things happening for you. Do you want to um, kind of give a brief run through of how you were taking a step back, I guess, but how you kind of tradi- transitioned into the fashion art space um, and then just leading into what kind of projects that you're working on now? So I started working um, a few years ago while I was still living in Melbourne for the Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair Foundation, which runs Australia's largest art fair and supports art centres to give, you know, help them showcase their work and all this amazing creative ingenuity that comes out of remote communities. And then when I was working there, we launched, um, and I was, you know, an integral part of this launch of the Indigenous Fashion Projects, which is, you know, an organisation, it's an arm of DAF that's the organised support and capacity building of um, Indigenous creatives in the fashion sector or designers, you know, it's supporting the growth of Indigenous fashion basically. So I did that and that, you know, was furthering my interest in this space and kind of getting a foot in the door Um, and I moved back to Darwin and, you know, there's just, I was on the ground, you know, back on the ground up here, wanting to spend a lot of time being able to travel and be in different places of the territory. And so I started working as a, just freelancing across different projects in that space because there's just such a big opportunity up here. So, I mean, that's sort of how I got into it. It was just, yeah, wanting to 
I think wanting to enact some of those changes and the things that inspired me and like be a driver for some of those things myself, not because the other, like other things that I'd done, it wasn't meeting those needs, but I was able to like be in all these places because I'm, you know, on the ground here. Mm. And, and so what does that mean for you now? Like, cause you obviously, you don't just work in the fashion space, but what, like, Give us a run through of you know some of the the important pieces that you're you're working on at the moment. Um, well, at the end of last year, I launched a creative agency, which is super exciting. So you know, back to that working for myself, working on various projects that often in different remote communities with art centres um, or in the arts, and then working on a couple like I spent this at the end of last year working across some really amazing campaigns including that Vogue campaign but then a couple of other ones in WA with you know Lucy Folk and Fella Swim and um we were Australian so I think yeah just my trajectory last year was just building up a network and working across different projects and like some of them I was reaching out for and just people I've met and like I'm you know I love networking and meeting other creatives and I think when you meet someone else and they see that you're passionate and really interested, like it can take you, you know, it lends itself really well to getting the next line of work. And I think that's what I found last year. And so in getting all this different work coming through and, you know, different opportunities, launching a creative agency um, to sort of be able to position myself for some of those bigger jobs with a bigger team and with, you know, other people that are really creative. So that's been awesome and that's picking up steam and, you know, that's also about um, we're the only creative agency, like Darwin Creative Agency, um, you know, with two, you know, I do it with my partner and another really good friend of ours and, you know, we're Darwin-based, we're Darwin locals. We have this ability to share these really cool stories of the Northern Territory because it's our home and then also a unique ability to connect to Indigenous Australia up here. So I think that was the driver behind that, um, sharing those stories and, yeah. And then I'm also working on, um, I'm actually just about to sign a, a book deal, which is just like so crazy <laughs> and so exciting. So that is a book that I've kind of pitched and been working on this idea for maybe two years um, and about to really start sinking my teeth into that and that's going to be a coffee table book which is about Indigenous fashion and textiles but showing the connection from historically. Um, there's obviously this real push at the moment, this contemporary space, but textiles have been made in remote communities since sort of the 60s. Um, people like Bronwyn Bancroft who was the first person to showcase overseas. Like there's all these people that have been doing amazing stuff in the space and now we're seeing this really concerted push and sort of, buy-in by the rest of the industry so I think it's showing that story but not um yeah not bogging down in too much writing I want to like really get some great excerpts and interviews with some really key players but then it's you know visually beautiful and like all that vibrancy that comes with Indigenous cultures and art and stuff like that so that's what I'm doing with that which is so exciting and a little bit sort of like I don't know there's all these opportunities coming up that I think I have, it's not like I haven't reached out for them. Like they're obviously things that I've manifested and wanted to do, but now that I've, and I've done them, it's kind of like, whoa, like that was never the life that I imagined that I'd be doing. <laughs> you know, like reading Vogue magazine as a 13, 14, 15-year-old, I would never have imagined that in one year I'd then be a part of two articles that come out in Vogue magazine. You know, like that yeah. is a real pinch me moment from my kind of humble upbringings in Darwin. <laughs> it's really good though. As it should be, though, you know, like yeah. it should be for any, any any kid reading Vogue who then gets to be part of Vogue. It should always feel like a pinch me moment, shouldn't it? Oh, it's wild! It's so wild. In terms of the future, um, what would you like to see it look like for you, work wise and industry wise? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Like, this is me and my busy mind, like, all these different things coming up. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I find, I don't know, that's hard. I think I want to keep being a part of this space of this growing diversity and storytelling of Indigenous cultures and, you know, Indigenous Australia. I think I really love being a part of sharing the stories from the Northern Territory more broadly because I think it's a really unique place and we have all these amazing stories. Um, 
I guess that's mostly it. I don't know. I mean, I obviously think ahead to what I'm doing and like set goals and sort of work towards things, but some days it's just a bit like see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) And in terms of your style, where do you see your style going? How do you think you'd like to be dressing when you're, I don't know, 70, 80 years old? Um, I think I just want to be comfortable. I honestly just think you want to be comfortable and, you know, confident in what you're wearing. Um, yeah. I don't know. You could be borrowing like. from your grandmother with the clip-on earrings and the, the I think so. I often wear, I mean, today I'm wearing really small earrings, but, you know, I have a lot of earpieces and I often have big earrings on, so I think that's for my grandma. Um, yeah, I think that's a really boring answer, isn't it? I don't know what I think my style would be like. Maybe just the tomboy still sneaking in there. <laughs> tomboy still sneaking in, and I think just being true to yourself, like what you're comfortable in. I think that's what I mean by the comfort. You know, not being overly influenced by someone telling you what to do or something else. Just you know, whatever makes me feel good at the time, whatever that is, changes every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nina. Well, thank you so much for sharing your style story with me today. Thank you so much. While Nina's naturally carefree childhood antics in Darwin and surrounds may have influenced a tomboy edge to her look, it's the women in her life that have had the most profound influence on her style. Taking from her mother's storytelling prowess or her grandmother's penchant for a fierce accessory, it's the creative polish and clever poise of these women that is most intimately woven into the details of Nina's story. Whether she's producing a shoot for Vogue running her own creative agency, or simply styling a contemporary look in a considered way, Nina now stands as her own formidable force, influencing the future of fashion for both First Nations Australia and far beyond.